The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Christian is the constant certainty of the favor and help of Almighty God. Think about that. God himself has made us, if you're a Christian, this is true of you, God himself has made us his adopted children. We didn't start that way. He made us that. And in so doing, he then made himself our father, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So Paul describes it in chapter 1, verse 3 of this book of 2 Corinthians we've been looking at. He is an almighty comforter to us. His people shows us his love. He showers us in true, deep joy, and all of that not because of anything in us, but because of what he himself did in sending Christ for us, his work in Christ, and then establishing us in Christ, planting us and tamping down the soil that we are constantly established in him, through whom all the promises of God, like a great funnel, pour to Jesus and then through Jesus all to us, so that every promise of God is for us in Christ. That is, think of it, a massive and sweet reality, all yours if you're a Christian. That is immense, precious, and beautiful. So precious, so sweet that sometimes we who are Christians get lost in that, in a good way. But we can also get lost in it in a less good way. We can forget or even overlook something that's, that's equally simultaneously significant. That all that I was just talking about, he has made all of that for us to experience and to live in now and to know for ourselves and to grow up in now. And the part that's sometimes easy to overlook or forget, and all of that for us and also all of that for us for others. The work, the work that he does in us is to grow us up and is to mature us and is to bless us but it's also to equip us and send us out in part to use us to help others who don't yet know that find it. To know the Lord and his saving power in Christ like we do. Sometimes we forget that. But Paul does not. And that's what brings us to our passage for today at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In this section... Paul turns his attention onto a subject that's going to take up actually the next several chapters of this book. In a way, he's still explaining himself and what his ministry is about and what he's like. So in the background, there's some sort of a there's still some sort of a little bit of a contention. But here now, in this section and on for the next several chapters, Paul's going to be explaining the nature of and the importance of his ministry as a new covenant gospel minister. which, as we've noted before, in some ways is completely unique. Paul's an apostle of Christ, unlike anyone ever since. There are no more apostles. 
He is unique. And yet, at the other, on the other hand, as we've noticed many times, looking at and understanding and, and hearing Paul describe what, what his life as in ministry and what his concern is about making the gospel known to people and how he speaks and how he lives and what he does in many ways also informs us and perhaps corrects us as, as we seek to live our lives in whatever capacity we are also ministers of Christ. We all are in some way if you're a Christian. So there's, there's something here in this passage and on that we should be realizing is actually, it's about Paul and it's about me. We are all of us blessed so as to be blessings. In fact, that's, that's the refrain of, that's the main point of Psalm 67, if you know it. Lord, be gracious to us and bless us that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation in all the nations. Blessed so that God may be known out there. Paul's keenly aware of that and wants us to be also. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me read the passage. This begins in verse 12 through the end of the chapter. And I'm going to draw two observations from it. Reading beginning in verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ... Even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The end of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Two observations. Here's the first. A minister of the new covenant has an astonishingly important role in God's work. A minister of the new covenant has an astonishingly important role in God's work. Verses 12 and 13 lead us into the theological heart of this book by closing out, at least for the moment, he's going to come back to this again in chapter 7, but closing out for the moment this discussion of Paul's travel plans. You'll recall that he had changed his mind and instead of going to Corinth, wrote instead so as to confront sin that needed to be addressed there in the church and in a particular person. We've seen this in past weeks. He wrote a letter that was a hard letter to write and as he sent it away in the hands of his trusted co-laborer, Titus, he, he surely wondered how it would be received. But he sent it away. And in the meantime, Paul continued on as normal with the mission God had called him to. He went on to Troas, which is moving north along the western coast of what is modern-day Turkey, sort of headed towards where Istanbul is today. He had planned to rendezvous with Titus there, but that's not why he went. 
He went, it says, for the gospel, to preach the gospel. He's there continuing on with the ministry God called him to. God led him there, in fact, and it says God opened a door for him for ministry. But in the end, he was so concerned about Corinth and concerned about what Titus's absence meant. Titus did not show up. He was so concerned about that that he left there and went across the strait to Macedonia. Some have guessed that he waited until winter came and closed off sea travel so he knew Titus wasn't coming, so he moved on to point B, where Titus could walk to Macedonia. He moved on. Now, as you read that and you think about that, picture Paul and Paul's life. Always on the move. Always working. Always hard-pressed. We've seen that. He's... He's engaged in ministry in Troas while he's in, in mind and heart engaged in ministry in Corinth and worried about what's going on there. And where he left from Asia, as we already saw, he was hard-pressed there, thought he was a dead man. Things were so difficult in Asia. And before he got to Asia, he'd been in Corinth where he'd been poorly treated. And before Corinth, he'd been in Athens where he debated with the intellectual elite of the land. And, 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 and. Paul's life is always one gigantic struggle full of hardship and full of conflict, full of tribulation. Now's no different. But, verse 14, but thanks be to God. Sure, he's stressed and suffering, but thanks be to God. This God who, as it says, in Christ always leads us, meaning himself, always leads me. Thanks be to that God which might not be the attitude we'd expect if you think about what I was just recounting there. Paul's constant struggle, God leads me through that. Thank you. That's odd. But it gets even more strange if you understand what he's saying. We might be thankful to God if, if you look back at that kind of a life and you say, yeah, that's hard, yeah, that's hard, yeah, that's hard. But thanks be to God who always leads me in triumph. Yes, it's hard, but it's also victorious. Yes, it's hard, but there's much glory, there's much success. That would make sense. We might say, thank you for that. Yeah, it's hard, but it's good. That's, in fact, what the Corinthians expected of an apostle of Christ. If you're of God, then you are on the winning side. You should be victorious. That's what they expected. It's what we expect and to be honest, sometimes we read this passage mistakenly and think that's what he's saying, but he's not. He always leads me, always. The last word of the, of the verse is everywhere. This is Paul's constant experience. God deals with him always like this. He leads him to Corinth, to Ephesus, to Troas, to Macedonia, and on and on. He leads me constantly in triumphal procession. Thanks be to God. Which is very strange. Because a triumphal procession for those led in it is nothing to be thankful for. Some of you know this, but not everybody. A triumphal procession, sometimes also just called a triumph, the capital T, 
was a final victory parade of a triumphant Roman army having returned to Rome after winning a war. It was the parade right down Main Street in Rome, past all the cheering citizens lining the streets, up to the high places where the temples and shrines and the government officials would be located. That's the parade, the triumph. And, and who is led in that triumph, in that parade? The Romans are leading in chains the defeated soldiers and defeated leaders of the destroyed enemy. Leading them through the streets and chains to be humiliated, to be shown off, to be gawked at, to be jeered at, only in the end to be either sold as slaves or ritually executed at the end of the parade. A triumphal procession was quite the sight. And quite the smell, because... On such an occasion, the Romans also offered up much fragrant incense as a thank and praise offering to their gods for giving them the victory. They would, they would burn incense and, and the whole place would smell. Of course, it's offered up to the gods, but all the people, both the citizens, the soldiers, and also the prisoners would smell it. It was quite the deal, quite the sight, quite the smell. And, and of course, it struck you very differently depending on which side of the line you were on, Right? Thanks be to God, says Paul, because everywhere I go, always, this is my life. I'm being led by God in Christ as his prisoner, as one conquered, taken captive, and he's putting me on display to show off something. He's, he puts me out there everywhere he takes me. He, he takes me here and takes me here and puts me out there and says, look, see, hear, smell, so to speak. Hear the report, the news of the victory won, of the conquest, and learn about me, the conqueror. That's what God's saying. That's what he's using me for, says Paul. Through me, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him. It says, the knowledge of him, that is the message about God, the truth about what God has done in Christ. That's the fragrance that wafts everywhere that Paul walks, led in Christ by God. If you've ever been around anybody who's eaten a lot of garlic recently, it just oozes out of them. Not just off their breath, it comes out of your skin. It just comes out of, your, out of your pores. Wherever they walk, stand, sit, the aroma of garlic goes. Well, verse 15, I'm the aroma of Christ. I'm full of Christ, and he oozes out of me, my mouth and my skin, like I speak, I, I preach the knowledge of Christ, I live and I act and I carry myself in a way that embodies the truth about him, what God has done in him. And, it, and that's a, it's an offering. I, I'm an aroma lift up to God. I'm an offering up to God as I speak and I talk and I, and I walk dependent on him who raises the dead, not on my own resources. It is a praise to this God lifted up to him that all people all around me smell wherever I go. 
They encounter Christ in and through me, everywhere and always. Those who are being saved and those who are perishing. God parades me in front of both, and some smell something awful and repulsive, and some smell something sweet and precious. It's the same smell, but it really depends on which side of the line you're on. That's the colorful image that Paul is using here. You can't see it. You can feel it. It's, 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 it's effective. But perhaps it's a little cloudy, so maybe we should step out of that to just state it plainly. Paul realizes that when he goes from town to town, when he finds himself in this city or on that riverbank in Philippi, when he finds himself in a jail cell or on a boat in the Mediterranean, standing in a courtyard somewhere, on trial before the Sanhedrin, etc., 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 etc. Wherever he goes, he is keenly aware that he is not there on accident. Every step of his life, he has been led there by God. And he's been led there by God on purpose to make the place smell like someone. That's why God led him there. He's there in Christ to spread the aroma of Christ, to embody and then to speak a message, news, about the conquering victory of God in Jesus. He's there to bring a message about what God has done so that his ways, God's ways may be known in all the earth, his salvation to all the nations, to every coastland, to all the islands, to all the distant peoples, the knowledge about how Christ crucified saves sinners. Christ and no one else crucified, that's a hard point, killed on a cross. Christ crucified saves sinners, not decent people who need a little bit of help, sinners. He's going to have to show, display, and speak that whole message. Christ crucified saves sinners. You need to be rescued, sinner, by Christ crucified. That's a message that's going to divide. But he's there to preach it. That's why God led him. And so when he comes into a place, something vast astonishing of eternal consequence is going to happen. God, through Christ, in Paul, is going to divide the room. Paul steps into every room and is constantly, every, he opens the door and sees right at the threshold, eternity open up in front of him. Do you see the world like this? Do you realize this? Every person you've ever met is a blink, is a breath away from eternity. Every single one of them, no matter how old they are. Paul realizes, I step into the room and I see eternal beings who are a blink away from eternal consequence. And God sent me here with something in me, on me. I smell and I have to. And so... Here I am, and what I'm going to say, and what I'm going to live out, and what I'm going to model is, is they're going to take it in one of two ways. Some of them are going to take it as just awful, as just awful, just awful as death to their death. They're going to be bored by it. They're going to be 
offended by it. They're going to hate how narrow-minded and exclusive it is. They're going to accuse me of being the problem in the world. And they reject it to their death. And yet, at the same time, others will take it as life. They're going to smell it as sweet. They're going to hear in it, there's the identification of my problem. I'm a sinner separated from God. That's what's messed up in here. And there's real mercy and real forgiveness. They're going to see it as the truth that it is. They're going to recognize the tomb was empty. Christ does live. There's an offer. They're going to receive it as life to their life. The room is going to divide in one of two ways. Different responses. I can't control that. I just walk in and smell. So here goes. Then he opens the door and steps in everywhere. Thankful to be involved in that kind of work, to be, to be given that kind of a role with God in God's power, but he has that role. He's thankful for it. Christ in me is bringing immensities near. That's what this is saying about how Paul saw himself as a minister of the new covenant. a minister of the gospel. And all of us, all of us who are Christians, here in this room, everywhere else, all of us who are Christians, we should see ourselves in this light too and consider how it is we fit into the parade, where our spot is, what our role in the work is. We all have some role to play in spreading the aroma of Christ to all the world. Our roles will be different. As individuals, we are differently gifted in different circumstances, and that is huge to consider. Sometimes one of the problems that we get in this is that we fail to recognize there are differences. There's an apostle of Christ, and there's there's, here's a, a pastor, and here's a missionary, and, and here's a guy in the office, and here's, here's a woman at home with the family, and here's a woman at the law firm. And they're all different, right? Even the same woman might be at home with her family or at, at work at the law firm, and she's different in those two places in her different circumstances. We're all going to be different. And we must not think, I have to do this like exactly like Paul did it, or like Steve does it, or like she does it. We're all going to be different. And each collection of Christians, whether it be a, a family or a church family, each collection of Christians is going to be different. Differently gifted, differently called and gathered together by God. We are what we are where we are. God led us to that. And God leads us there and from there on to the next spot. We're all going to be different. But we're all in this together. We're all in the parade somewhere. So the most important question, I think, probably for us at this point is, do you realize that about yourself? That you are being led along by God in triumphal procession. It's easy to get lost in just enjoying all of the the marvelous reality of what it means to be in Christ 
for you, for us. To, to get lost in just enjoying that and the sweetness of that and the, the precious blessings or maybe one step beyond that, to get lost in, in just attending to the sanctification work that I need, that we need, and, and we need a lot of it. We are, we're messed up people. So it is indeed worth our time and our effort to attend to our growth, to mature. But both of those things, whether you are just focused on enjoying the blessings or just focused on growing up in Christ, both of those are, are kind of like this, are kind of inward looking, are focused on us. And it is easy to get drawn in and miss that, the other out there, the nations. It is always blessed to be a blessing. It is always the reason that he sent Christ in the first place and led him in procession up the hill to Calvary, showing off in him and accomplishing in him the great salvation work, is so that he could find all the lost sheep here and out there. It's the mission of the church that he is at work through. Acts 1.8, right? I'm going to give you my spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Christ is pursuing people through us, here, there, and there. Now, still. So, indeed, we, we look and we say, oh, the precious promises, oh, the wonderful blessings, oh, thank you, God, for growing me up and maturing me. And also simultaneously, along with Paul, we must realize I am always and everywhere being led in triumphal procession that others may get a whiff of the aroma of Christ that they too may come to know him. New covenant ministers of all different sorts have an astonishingly important role through us, God is reaching the nations. There is no plan B. Through his people, God is reaching the nations. That's us. And I'm using the word nations because I want to make it big so we can realize the scope of this and maybe then take a seat and say, oh my goodness, that is daunting. It is. That leads us to the second observation. Done properly, this role is a privilege and not an impossible burden. Done properly, this role is a privilege and not an impossible burden. So it's serious. It brings sacrifice and hardship and heartache like we've seen in Paul and like we know in a bunch of ways in our own lives. Like Jesus told us it would be. Jesus said that if the world opposes and rejected him, which it did, then it will oppose and reject his people, his messengers. 
We know that. We're, we're aware of that. So where does Paul, how does Paul come to thanks be to God for this? That's where he started in verse 14. It's not even praise be to God. You might even understand praise God for what you're doing, but he's thankful to be involved in it. He regards it as a privilege. So how does he come to that spot? Viewing this as something that he is fortunate to have received. And walk into it like that, rather than walk into it like many who would be treading down that procession would be heads hung low, burdened. He's skipping, thankful, bizarre. How? Well, it's not because he's emotionally stunted and doesn't feel any pain, and it's not because he's some macho guy who fears nothing and loves conflict and confrontation. He's a guy like everybody else. He's a person, which is really good news. You recall we talked about this at the very beginning of the book about the, the fear that he faced coming to Corinth. This is, this is all good news because it takes Paul from like this Superman level down to, down to he's a guy level and tells us that whatever it is that's behind Paul, looking at this sort of a task, thankful, we'll also be able to grab a hold of that and own it ourselves for us. So what is it? Well, he teases us before he tells us. At the end of verse 16, he basically asks the question himself, look at all this. <laughs> Who is sufficient for such a task? Who can do that? And notice his answer is not no one. Sometimes we ask a rhetorical question and we mean the answer to be no one. You, know, you look at a, at a bench bench press bar with a thousand pounds on. Who can bench press that? Who can bench press a thousand pounds? Nobody. That's what we think. But Paul means to say, who can do that? I can. I can. And those like me can. And he's going to say that in a couple of verses, which we'll see next week, perhaps, maybe the week after. Because God's given him something. God's done something. But what exactly is it that God has done? Well, we're sticking here for the moment in verse 17. Who's sufficient? Who can do this? Me. For, because, I'm not like so many peddlers of the word of God. That's a shot. He's calling the false teachers who have arrived in Corinth and who follow him around everywhere and who still exist today He's calling them peddlers of the word. People who teach what others want to hear. Whatever the culture will accept, never mind if it's in fact God's truth. They teach and get paid and honored. Peddling a message that is inevitably distorted. So as to appease. And if you're like that, if that's how you think, if that's what's motivating you, if that's what you're after, then you're never going to be able to do this. That's what Paul's saying here. 
When God lays out this triumphal procession and says, I'm going to lead you around and show off in you the suffering Christ and put you in front of people who are going to reject you, if that's how you think, like a peddler of this, then you're never going to be able to do that. The person who's in this for personal profit, personal prestige, who needs a big audience that looks successful and glorious and applauds him or her, not going to be able to do it. To do this role, you need to be like this, continuing on verse 17. I'm not like that, but I am, he says, a man of sincerity, sent by God, speaking before God in Christ. Full of integrity. No deceit or manipulation. No people-pleasing. He just speaks the truth. He lives it consistently with what he says and what's actually inside of him. It's all one whole cloth. And he does so with conscious awareness. I have been sent by God. Which for Paul means something very specific. He would would be calling to mind his Damascus Road experience of being raised up and then commissioned on the road there and then following But there's a sense of of calling here, a sense of assignment. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Not perhaps what I want to do, not perhaps what the world wants me to do, but I'm under orders. And I'm always before God in his sight. The God who made everything who rules, who saves, who judges. God Almighty. This is similar to what we saw last week where Paul talked about being before Christ. He does not mean only under the eye of him, like being evaluated, but he means before him as in he sees me and I see him. It is very easy to pull into Corinth, Macedonia, Troas, your office place, your high school, and see the people. To open the door and see the room and to see the faces. But Paul says, I open the door and I see the room and I see the faces and I see eternity and I see God Almighty. I'm before him and them both. It's unavoidable to see the world, but he sees the Lord also, recognizes that he's under orders from this God, and speaks with sincerity and lives with integrity. And lastly, but in a way this comes last, but you could summarize the whole thing by just saying this, he's in Christ, which is also where he started. If you look back up to verse 14, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us. Verse 17, as I speak in Christ. The book ends here. Paul and anyone else who would hope to fulfill this role properly has to realize I am, you are, I am am in Christ.
You are in Christ. This is the key to life. And incidentally, the key to ministry. To see yourself as in Christ. You don't live a separate life. Everything that happens and everything that you are is a life wrapped up with, united with this God. You are in him. You are in union with the divine, omnipotent ruler. That's, you're in Christ. You are a little old person in Christ. Because you are in Christ, united to him, you have a, an accepted, blessed communion with the God who raises the dead. You have every divine resource at your disposal as he wills it. You know every in and out, every path, every plan as he reveals it. He gives you everything that you need and leads you every place you should go because he is in tight communion with you, never to reject you, never to cast you off, always to sit with you and to shower upon you his love, his smile, his grace, and his power. You are in constant communion with him and therefore in Christ you don't actually need any particular results to be good and okay. You're under orders to live and to speak a message. It may not be popular, it may not gain much approval, but that's okay. You don't need any results. You're in Christ, you got what you need. And if it's opposed, and if, and if you suffer some sort of persecution, you're in Christ. You have all the promises of God delivered to you. You have what you, you, have what you need. Your, your life here is, is passing away in temporary. Your life is hidden with him in heaven. This is light and momentary, whatever this is. This is light and momentary and is attaining for you something here that is glorious and deep and wide and big because you're in Christ. You're in Christ. You are loved by him deeply and, and wide and long and nothing can separate you from that love. You're in Christ. Loss here then is relativized. I think, at least as I work that through for myself, I think that those verse 17, those four phrases in verse 17, matter for most Christians in two different ways. Maybe it matters for you differently, but I think it matters in two different ways. One that's outward looking at the world and one that's kind of inward looking at other Christians. If I think through integrity, under orders, seeing the Lord in union with Christ, and I look out at the world, the nations, the distant shores, and just think for a second. I'm talking about your neighbor who could not care less about your faith. And I'm talking about Saudi Arabia that has a very clear opinion about your faith. And everybody in between. 
Who can do that? It is overwhelming. There is a challenge. There is hardship out there. And this matters immensely when you look at the challenge. Because you realize, I'm actually relieved from the responsibility of making anything happen. I'm sent to them to be the aroma of Christ, not to save them. I'm sent to them to speak a message, not to convince them that it's true. Not to argue with them. I'm sent to show them what I think is beautiful. Not to make them love it. The results are not in my hands. I'm under orders, and those orders do not include save them, change them, convince them, persuade them, win them over. That is tremendously freeing. And if they persist in rejection, I stand before the Lord not responsible. That is freeing. So I'm supposed to step into their world, out out there, whoever they is. I'm supposed to step into that world and with all integrity, not feel like I gotta work it, I gotta manipulate them, which actually, if if you're not a Christian, isn't that one of the things that you hate about Christians is they're always trying to like work it and and deceive and like manipulate the legal system so that we can get this result and get this legislation passed because we actually need that. What I'm saying is that what we should be thinking is we don't need any of that. We can let it all go. Eh, we're, we're citizens in a democracy. We can, we can lobby and we can vote. We don't need any of that. There is great freedom to let it go. Love people as best you can. Point them towards the forgiveness they need and the life they long for and leave the results to him. And if you worry, what if I mess it up? You stand before God, the God who reigns, who led you to there, not on accident, and will lead you in there, not on accident. You actually can't mess it up. He reigns. There's great freedom in that. Leave the results to him. Speak with integrity, under orders, before the Lord in Christ. That is, that is, I think, really helpful as I look out and maybe even more helpful as I look in because I think, for me, one of the larger challenges with this whole idea is actually, oddly, maybe, looking around the Christian community. Because one of the great ways this becomes a burden to us that is really hard to carry, I don't think I'm alone in this, but maybe I am. (laughs) We often engage with this sort of material. I'll just call it like loosely witnessing material, evangelism material, outreach material. And we do it looking at the world, glancing sideways at each other. Because aren't we also evaluating each other sideways and judging each other sideways and determining, oh, that's a successful ministry. There's a blossoming church. 
she's a great evangelist. Not like me, I'm a loser. We then turn all of this that's supposed to be just speaking about life in love, honoring to God, an offer of life in love to other people, and we turn it to be, I'm living in the sight of you, loving myself. I'm going to do something that's going to establish in your sight that I am good enough, that I'm acceptable enough, that I'm worth partnering with, that I'm worth your accolades. And the whole thing that's supposed to be about God drawing near to people to save them from eternal loss and deliver to them love and joy, it's about God for them becomes you and me. And that becomes a burden impossible to carry because that never goes away. If you're living for the approval of other people to make yourself feel good by what you do, you will be crushed by that. It will never end. And verse 17 gives us some freedom from that. In Christ, before seeing God, before God, under orders to live with integrity and forget yourself. That is really helpful for me. It releases me of the burden and it releases you of the pride that comes if you think you are doing it well. It just gets us out of there in a really good way. Verse 17 is helpful. It's what makes us able to do 14, 15, 16. It's helpful for us as we look out and as we look around in. You stand before him, speak his message in his power for his purpose with integrity as one who is in Christ thankful to be included in the work. That's how Paul viewed his life. That's how we should view our lives. An offering back to him, an offering to the world that they can know what by grace we know also. Let me pray. Father, there's a big, there's a large calling on the church here. And I'm thankful also that there is an equally large offering to the church here. An offering of yourself with us and in us working through us. I'm thankful for that, and I pray for my brothers and sisters to do that you would help us to remember that, to embrace it, to live in it, and in Christ before you then step into the calling and, and willingly, thankfully, be led around as the aroma of Christ. You have given us much sweet blessing 
And we know from your word that you want to still give much sweet blessing to others around us and out there. So please use us in that process. Give us the privilege, please, and equip us and send us. Honor the Son. Save people. And let us be involved in that process. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.